Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, I heard a terrifying stat the other day. And no, it's not that robots are already here to take your job. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I read a study by Corn Ferry that formed part of their multi-year Future of Work series. And it said that by 2030, that's less than seven years away as I sit here recording this episode, there won't be enough humans to take up the jobs that are available. This study suggests that there will be a global talent shortage of around 85 million people. And as they put it, that is roughly the population of Germany, folks. And they summarize this is going to result in missed revenues of around an incredible $8.5 trillion. Now, just let that number sink in for a second. Even if you heavily de-risk those numbers, That's still one hell of a gap to contend with. I'll stick the link to the report in the show notes so you can take a look for yourselves. But the low birth rates in some countries, the exodus of baby boomers from the workforce, and a lack of time to develop the necessary skills for the younger, emerging working generations are all causal factors we're going to have to contend with, according to the report. Now, surely, surely, folks, this must bring even greater focus on retention, development, and engagement of your people. Look, I've banged on about the importance of engagement and retention in pretty much every episode I bring you, inviting guests to share their perspectives, advice, tips, and experiences because we have a real job to do in this area, people. And at the heart of that job is clear, effective Communication that helps employees see where the organization is going, gives them hope, certainty, and realism, helps them see and recognize the part they all play in that journey, and helps to keep them informed and engaged. But how often do we hear that communication is the biggest problem in many businesses? Get it right, and good internal communications can act as a special culture glue. It's not the be-all and end-all of engagement, but without it, you are going to struggle. But is the current approach to internal comms fit for the job we have ahead of us? Does it need an update, a refocus, or a reframing to cope with the challenges we face? Well, with me today is Katie McCauley. She's the MD of AB Communications and also host of the very popular internal comms podcast, which I was lucky enough to appear on a short while ago. She's also the author of the book From Cascade to Communication, which was published back in 2017, but at that time talked about 
moving internal comms on. So I thought, if we're going to have a conversation about potentially moving on again, who better to talk to than Katie? So welcome to the show, Katie. Andy, thank you. It is a real pleasure to be here, although I am slightly nervous because I'm not normally this side of the mic, but even so, <laughs> it's a joy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm sure I said something similar when I came on your <laughs> podcast. It does feel a bit bit weird, but at the end of the day, we're just here to have a chat, right? Have a chat about this stuff. Before we get stuck into that, do me a favour, Katie, will you? Just give me a bit of a fuller background to, to you, who you are, what you do, and what you're currently focused on, please. Yes, absolutely. I would do a very brief overview. I was always going to work with words. That was never in doubt. I can't remember <laughs> a time when I wasn't writing something, whether that was a newsletter for my school friends or plays and poetry later in life. There are many unfinished novels in the backs of uh, cupboards in this house, for example. <laughs> and then after university, I did a weird thing. I was working nights at a national newspaper and during the day in a comms agency that specialised in internal communications, which I knew nothing about, I have to say, like many people who say they fell into this profession, I think I did that slightly. But very quickly, I thought to myself, ah, this is fascinating. And I think I was fascinated by a couple of things. One was the dynamics of businesses. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting, how they made money, how they brought people together in a sort of collective endeavour, but then also by communications. And I got to speak to people at all sort of roles from CEOs to those on the front line. And I thought, oh, I feel that this discipline is about making the sort of collective experience of work, more engaging, more meaningful, more worthwhile. And that felt like such an exciting field to be in. I have my dream job today, I can honestly say, <laughs> running AB. It's kind of unique characteristic is that it's the world's oldest internal comms agency so it's been going longer than I have it's really started, I didn't know that yeah started in 1964 which is incredible so mm. it gets its weird name from a guy who sadly is no longer with us called Anthony Buckley that was printing the Financial Times on Fleet Street and he wondered watching everyone go backwards and forwards to work whether managing directors and chief executives would like the kind of professional communication skills, journalism skills that he had at his fingertips every day at the Financial Times inside their organisations to help them communicate with their employees. And that's how it all started. Well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> I didn't didn't know that at all. That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, um, so yes, we work with very, usually fairly large, complex organisations, and we help across a range of different issues and challenges, whether that's an acquisition or a merger or a new strategy, through to very specific challenges around our D&I, um, might be health and safety, it might be protecting the brand, some area of compliance. So from very large cultural issues through to very specific challenges, that's our, that's our bread and butter. And I can honestly say I love it. And I think one of the reasons I love it is because I seem to learn something new every day because there isn't an organization in the world that doesn't show up and pre present a fresh challenge. And I know we're supposed to say every client is unique and that's a little bit of a, is it really true? It genuinely is true. It genuinely is true. I remember once flying over to Switzerland, working with two 
pharmaceutical companies, roughly the same size, roughly the same history and heritage in terms of what you could see from their website, step through the front door, <gasps> culture, <laughs> values, the way they behave, totally different. So yeah. yeah, that's what I love about it is that diversity and that challenge, I think. I think that comes part and parcel with the sort of tie up between internal comms and culture and all this sort of stuff. I mean, many businesses face the same problems, but how they attack it, how they're equipped to attack it, it's all always different, which can cause a problem when you people are asking you to quote for stuff because they want the sort of silver <laughs> bullet answer, which is uh, <laughs> yes. rarely there. It's rarely really there. there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Katie, we're going to talk about this stuff that I mentioned in the intro, mm. I hope, right, and get your view on that. But can we just, just rewind a sec? Because in trying to be a good boy, in trying to research this topic, I – I really struggled. I struggled mm. to find what I would call really useful resources or pieces talking about internal comms and challenges and all that sort of stuff. I, I kept on finding the same sort of stuff. And a lot of it was, I don't know, it, sometimes it felt a bit siloed and a bit out of date and sometimes very, very blended with other things about management, leadership, business. Can we start off with what's your definition of internal comms? How do you frame it? That is such a good question because actually I do a internal internal comms masterclass for people that join AB. Mm. And the first question I ask is how do you define internal <laughs> communications? And I went online and there are, yeah, there's 50, 150 different definitions. I think internal communications is about creating clarity connection around the things that really matter to both the people that work for the organization and the organization itself. And why do we need to create that bond and connection and clarity? I think there's now decades of research that show that people who are more engaged, and I have a slight problem with that term, but people that feel a certain connection and had have a shared vision, if you like, know where the organization is going and how they contribute to that, they are there more, therefore more productive. Mm -hmm. The organization is more likely to tap into their skills, their resources, their discretionary effort, which is, you know, what the engagement surveys are always trying to, you know, to, to get for organizations by raising engagement. So for me, it's, it's that. I also have in my mind a, a divide, if you like, between need to know and nice to know. So I always think about that slightly when I'm having conversations with clients. There is a, There are certain messages and information, if you like, you need to know to do your job. What yeah. time does your shift start? Who's your line manager? What are today's product services you need to sort of know more about? Versus the nice to know stuff, which is why does the organization exist in the first place? How is it different from its competitors? What are its values? What's its culture? How does it want to show up in the world? And I think what's interesting is we live in a world now where all the research and studies I'm seeing is that nice to know stuff is becoming more and more important to people. They actually want to do work and work for an organization that has meaning, that means something, that matters. There's even studies out of the US to show people would trade a reduction in their pay to do more meaningful work. So the, I think it's a very exciting time to work in internal communications. I would agree with you, though, 
and I get a bit frustrated about this, there are lots of quote unquote thought leaders in this space. But when you actually look into it, they're not particularly coherent thoughts and they're not particularly leading thoughts. Mm. And I get slightly frustrated. We do seem to regurgitate the same stuff. And actually on my show, it's been very interesting to bring in behavioral scientists, neuroscientists, out and out marketeers, people specializing in social media, um, in influencer marketing, and actually hear from them because I think it's the intersection between other disciplines that is going to propel internal communications forward, actually. And we have a lot we can borrow from other disciplines and learn from them rather than play back, if you like, what we already know, if that makes sense. Oh, gosh. Yeah, 100%. You're ticking a lot of my boxes, Katie, <laughs> right? A lot of I think it's fascinating what you say there because a couple of things that sort of spring out to me is when, when you said clarity, uh, clarity and connection to to what matters. My first question is, yeah, as to what matters to who. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll dig into that later on yeah. because I think there's there's a lot of what we think is important not necessarily what employees think is important that's worth digging into. And I think this nice-to-know phrase, what's nice-to-know, I think that helps people commit more and allows them to be more effective in their work, right? So, you know, even the phrases like things nice-to-know, I think that why thing, and maybe it's a generational shift, I think that's becoming more and more important for people to kind of Get it? Um, yes. You know, yes. we're not we're not all like me, Generation Xers, who were pretty much brought up as to you know, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, and I'll ask how much you want of it done, and exactly. that'll be my that'll be my only questions. Um, yes, doesn't happen yes. like that anymore. No. And just going back to your intro, absolutely right. I saw that Corn Ferry report as well. Mm. But digging into that a little bit more, if you take the UK alone, mm. the studies I'm seeing is by the same date. So within, we're certainly within the decade in a way, 2.6 million unfilled go. vacancies in the UK. And again, through the reasons you're saying, you know, aging population, Brexit's not helping potentially, other things that shift, hyper labour mobility, people taking themselves out of the labour market altogether, which I think is really interesting. So there's been a power shift. You're absolutely right. It used to be about, well, we are going to broadcast messages at people. We hold the power, we control the message. Mm. What we're actually seeing now is executive teams worrying much more about talent attraction and talent retention and having to think about it through the eyes and the lens of the employees, which is why you get them waking up to the fact that they need to work on their you know, EVPs, to give it the acronym, <laughs> employee value propositions, which you know, it makes me smile because whether you're working on your EVP or not, you've got one. It's a bit like a brand, isn't it? You've got a brand, whether you're investing or thinking about it um, or not. So yeah, I I think you're absolutely right with your intro. There's been a massive power shift and there will be for some time, I think. Let's start by maybe painting a, a positive picture of the future, right? So if we think ahead, bearing in mind the challenges that we've just talked about and as is in the news constantly at the moment, this sort of skill gap, which obviously brings into more focus, retention and development. But in the world of internal communications, what's this opportunity that internal communications has to meet or can meet? 
What does that look like in the future? What is the ideal landscape or setup for IC in your from your perspective, Katie? Wow, what a question. <laughs> so the book, I'll come back to the book because that was a manifesto for the future of internal communications. That was a reaction to the fact that I had spent at that stage over two decades working either inside organizations for large corporate organizations or from the outside in as a consultant, Mm -hmm. largely broadcasting messages at people. And if I'm being really, really honest, taking silence as a sign of success. In other words, no one has complained. Fantastic. Let's carry on the monologue. Brilliant. And as someone said in a focus group the other day to me, operational colleagues on the front line of a large organization, two monologues doesn't make a dialogue. And I thought, mm, nice. out of the mouth of people that really know what's going on in an organization, the front line as ever. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, from Cascade to Conversation was all about saying, you've got to step back for a minute and think about the world we live in and operate in at the moment. And it's even more true now than it was when I wrote it back in whenever it was 2017, because of things like AI, generative AI. If I'm a chief executive waking up this morning, there's not any chance that I'm thinking the future of my organisation relies in some feature of my product or service Mm -hmm. because quite frankly that can be copied replicated tomorrow Mm. by a competitor actually the future of my organization rests in people that are leaving the factory floor tonight or closing their laptops tonight and hopefully are coming back in and working for me tomorrow because what I need to succeed in the future is their ingenuity. I need them to collaborate across silos, across functions. I need them to tell me what it's really like at the front line dealing with customers and what those customer issues are. I need their their commitment. I need them to share a common cause, to form bonds with each other. So that's a totally different role for communications. One of the big things and the strategic shifts is not broadcasting messages at people doing the absolute opposite and that's listening Mm. that's asking really really smart questions and listening really hard to the answers you get back and this idea that what internal comms could be doing more of is capturing the collective wisdom of an organization there's that phrase isn't there the smartest person in the room is the room so this whole idea that we could we should we should ask before we tell and quite honestly you're an IC person today you're worried about some transformation program some new strategy that you know you've got to roll out that idea of asking before you tell of pausing for a moment to actually ask questions and understand what it's like from an audience's perspective what's on their minds and asking for their ideas and opinions I just think it's such a, a worthy cause. And the other thing is that employees love giving you their ideas and their opinions. As long as you demonstrate you really are listening and doing something as a result, they give up pretty quickly if they just face with a, a wall of silence. But other than that, all my experiences, if you sit people down and really have a conversation with them, they open up. And as we often say when we do focus groups, you know, people need a damn good listening to. <laughs> um, 
just to feel better, just to feel more. That alone, it, it can be very powerful. So that's the big strategic shift, I think, from broadcasting messages to actually fostering a meaningful conversation and dialogue, which is a totally different endeavour. No, it really is. I mean, really good internal communications of which I've either seen or been part of or heard about, let's let's be fair, are are very much about the alignment of employee truth, uh, employer truth, and customer truth, right? There's this world of, you know, you tell one story to the customer and one story to the employee and another to the board. Absolute rubbish in my book. And look, I'll probably get slated for that. I think there is much more than a blurring now. I think we need to get behind one truth, right? And we need to tell that story and align it throughout the business. I think there's a big job to do when it comes to internal comms, if you like, to to echo that soul and voice of, of the brand. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Throughout, it can act as an absolute fulcrum for it. I think. Well, look, as a, as a professional in in the sphere, am I an idiot or is that is that in line? You, I'm smiling because <laughs> you are also yeah. You know, you're 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 preaching to the choir or the converted. Um, I totally agree with you. So transparency, which is really what you're talking about, this mm. idea that you're you're blurring the edges, you're blurring the line between internal and external. I saw that shift years ago and was really, really excited by it. We see it in things like the Edelman Trust Barometer when we realise, I think that's 33,000 people they interview for that survey across the world who are saying, who I'm most likely to trust and really want to hear from are my peers. Um, In fact, my employer over other sources of information so we have this really interesting world which we live in is if you really want to market your services and products to the outside world using your employees to do that probably got a lot more traction than anything else so that's one one element of this the other thing is that so many if I think about quite a few of my clients it's very likely that an employee is going to be both an employee, a shareholder, and a customer Mm. for a start. So there's no rigid boundaries between individuals. The other thing is that we live in an age now where it's so easy to find out what's really going on. I mean, it started with Glassdoor. There are Mm. now so many other you know, uh, discussion forums out there where employees are sharing what they think, what they know. So I say to all of my clients, the walls of your organizations, your organization is now made of glass bricks. Don't think you can hide anything in your basement. Everyone can see straight down into your basement. So you've got to be honest and truthful because basically you don't really have any alternative. But why not use that to your advantage? Can you make your culture, your values, actually something not just that works brilliantly and beautifully internally, but your consumers, your customers, your investors are going to love too? And that's what you're talking about. That's that transparency piece. And hey, the extra benefit is that it's real. It's authentic. You're actually living it. It's it's much easier. This is why the truth works because, you know, it's it's much easier to remember what's truthful than try to construct a lie. So, yeah, I, I, I couldn't 
I couldn't agree with you more on that point. Sorry, I got very carried away. No, no, look, listen, <laughs> I love it. We love a bit of passion on the podcast. What's the point of sitting here and just going through the motions? No, I think, I think it's wonderful to sort of hear that. I want to ask you a quick question. You've mentioned broadcast a number of times. When we've spoken in the past, you shared what I thought was a really interesting perspective, right, from someone you've spoken to before, and I think that sums up the whole broadcast versus involvement versus who cares piece around internal comms. Would you mind just sort of sharing that, Jason Antoine, stat with me, with the listeners? I, know, it's I think it's, a, it's fantastic. So Jason Antoine, bit of a fairly well-known figure in the field of internal comms, certainly in the US. He's got mm. about 30 years experience, experience runs a an agency called Audacity. He came on the show. I'd been wanting to get him on for some time. Now he runs, it's actually an ongoing survey and I'll make sure you have a, a, a link so your listeners can, can take a look. He runs an ongoing survey called the What Employees Want Survey. Mm. It's quite a nifty idea. Rather than asking communication professionals how internal comms should be, it's actually a, a series of questions for employees. And his his thinking is employees are going to be more honest in this survey because it's not run by their employer, which I, I can see I can see where he's he's coming from in that in that regard. And what he's discovered through that survey is that employees tell us they will give us roughly five minutes a day of the kinds of communication we produce as internal <laughs> comms teams. Now, you can think of that for a moment and really start to panic because you're thinking about the volume of content that's being uploaded to your intranet alone, let alone the emails that are going out, all the content on Yammer, whatever it is you've got. And you're thinking, goodness me, five minutes a day. When I think about that five minutes, I'm thinking of the FMCG marketing manager that's got a brand to look after. And I've just gifted that manager five minutes every working day with a a customer segment, with a customer persona. Mm. And he or she is going to think, oh, great, five minutes with Michelle. She's married. She's got two kids in a Labrador. She works part-time at a local school. She's really into podcasts. I know exactly how I'm going to catch her attention. I know exactly what to talk to her about because I know what's on her mind at the moment. I know how my brand is going to connect to the issues that matter to her. Really? You're giving me five minutes? So for me, I think it's reframing the challenge. If we knew, if we chose to know our employees, as well as we try to get to know our customers, we would think so differently about how we connect with them. And this has always been the big conundrum and the irony is that we, our organisations are spending a lot of money on customer and consumer insight. doesn't matter if you're B2B or B2C. There are people spending a lot of money on, on customer insight. But for free, we can get off out of our seats in the old days, at least when we were on site, walk down the corridor, walk over to the factory on the site next door and ask a ton of questions to get to know our audiences better. So for me, I think it's about 
better segmentation, better understanding of the audience and a way of actually, you said it straight up, what matters to the audience Mm. and thinking about the challenge from their perspective. And if I'm being really honest, and there's another guest on my show, Steve Crescenzo, brilliant, brilliant guy. Again, I'll send you the link. But he made the point, he trains, he's trained, I think, thousands of internal comms people to, to people to write better over the years. And he said to me on the show, Katie, at the end of the day, too often we are writing for the approver, not the recipient of our communication. Mm-hmm. We are writing to try and get things through this tortuous approval process, or we're drafting by committee, when if only we'd stop for a moment and think, let's look at it totally from the perspective of our employees. How are we going to surprise them, delight them, make them laugh, whatever it is, and write from that perspective? And it does mean being a bit bolder. It probably means more things are going to get the red line through. But I think occasionally that's what frustrates me is we play too small and we play too safe. Well, that's a lovely link, right? That's a lovely link to where I'd like to go next. So if if we've painted this picture of a world that is from a communications perspective, a world that is now more inclusive, involving, and and I guess an informed dialogue about the things that matter that, that's carried out in five minutes a day, right? If that's the landscape we're working to it. And based on what you've just said about maybe focusing on the person on the exec who's going to approve the words and feels comfortable with versus really connecting with and engaging with the recipients how far away are we from that state oh my goodness me the trouble is i think we get hung up too much by perhaps potentially our our report lines that's one issue that keeps coming up and i Mm -hmm. think we need to completely forget about the organogram and work out who we need to collaborate with and align with and share the challenge with and it's not just HR we've Mm. got to go and find the strategy team and make friends with them we've probably got to go and find the R&D people whatever it is I think it's a it's got to be more of a a collective endeavor than it is today Um, I think our tools and our platforms and channels have got a lot better and they certainly have become more conversational and two-way so there's no real excuse anymore for just broadcasting messages at people but I think what do I think the big challenge is I think it can come down simply to that bravery piece and I think back to early times in my career and I suppose there's a difference isn't there between being naive and being brave (laughs) (laughs) yes a hundred percent so I was I was re- I was reflecting on this Jerry Maguire moment I had very early on in my career working for a very large British bank, and when I even tell you this story, it was the Jerry Maguire moment. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, well, that film was from 1996, I believe. Still one so of my faves. Are, Still one of my faves. There's going to be many listeners that are saying, well, I wasn't even born until yes, 2000. Yes. So, but anyway, it, it hopefully transcends the um, the time period that we're talking about. But just just that moment of being at that stage in my career, 
in internal communications, looking about me and being with the grown-ups. I was not the grown-up at that point. I was still very early on my career learning through watching, Mm. learning through just literally observing what was going on around me. So how my senior stakeholders leaders behaved with each other, the issues they talked about, what mattered to them, what they were focusing on. And I had this moment in the middle of the night where I thought the answer, there was an answer that came to me a bit like the Jerry Maguire thing, that the bank needed to completely redefine itself in the eyes, particularly of customers. No one really loved banking back then. And we are going, well, maybe they still don't, but we are going back quite a few years. Anyway, I came up with a 10 point charter wrote it all out. And there were mad things in this charter that this bank was going to do to forge this totally new reinvention of what the bank and the role it was going to play in in people's lives. I gave it to my boss, even though the next morning I thought to myself, really, should I be doing this? But what I didn't know is that she then gave it to the chief executive who called me up to his office on the top floor of this big block in the square mile where we were working in at the time. And he sat me down and he, he, he sort of long silence. And he said, do you know how much these things are going to cost me? I thought, like, no, of course I don't. Because it was three in the morning and I just had, I thought these were just good ideas. One of them, I remember we had a pound for pound fundraising scheme. So if you were an employee and you were raising money for charity, the bank would match it up to a certain amount. And I said that we would extend this scheme to customers. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> a lovely idea. A lovely idea. And, um, it, it, it didn't go well, this meeting. And as I turned <laughs> to leave, I put my hand on the door and he called me back and he said, oh, Katie, I'm so sorry. That wasn't the conversation I was meant to have with you. He was actually a really lovely leader. He just caught him at a bad time. Mm. He said, what I really meant to do was say, look, these ideas aren't going to quite fly, but please keep it up. Please keep up that bold thinking, that out-of-the-box thinking, and maybe we'll only have 2.5% of it, but at least somebody is doing that. And I think that's the position as internal comms people. Sometimes you've just got to step out of the budget, step out of the constraints of the brief, and think a little bit more ambitiously and boldly. And maybe there'll be a stakeholder that raises their eyes to heaven and thinks, goodness me, they've got no idea. But if you ground it in the reality of what your organization is trying to achieve, and at that time the bank was working on its brand and wanted to strengthen its brand, as long as you ground it in the reality and in the business reality of what it's trying to achieve, then just kick out the safe option and then kick out the bold, ambitious, this may sound nuts, but option. I interviewed Sally Sussman, who is the executive vice president for corporate communications at Pfizer. She sat on the Pfizer development task force. She was in the room when the FDA approved Pfizer's vaccine. Very amazing woman, amazing story she told on the podcast. But through the development of the vaccine, she was ringing her CEO saying, look, I know we've got to work on the vaccine. We've got to get a successful vaccine. I also know that we've got to convince people to to have the shots in their arms. And there's going to be a lot of people who are vaccine hesitant, shall we say. But I've got a secret mission that I'm not going to commit to strategically on paper, but I'm going to use this opportunity to reframe how the public thinks of big pharma. Mm. I am going to 
try to make people think differently about the pharmaceutical industry and particularly about farm, you know, Pfizer, which is what she's done. And she's written a brilliant book um, on it since then that's just come out. So that was a, and a real great example of someone thinking just a little bit more boldly and a bit more ambitiously, half keeping it to herself, but working out through what mattered to the organization and its strategy, how she could do something even more powerful that's going to shape you know not just the future of that organization but potentially the sector as well so yeah it comes down to bravery and uh, ambition i guess as well well that's (laughs) well these things all link don't they Mm. this is the thing and i'm sitting here listening sucking it all up as always but i guess there's three things that sort of have come to me when we think about how far away we are from the picture that you painted earlier on and it it sort of came come down to these three things of fear for some reason there's always a fear behind what we communicate how much we communicate what we tell people what we don't tell people right then there's a thing around complexity which can be down to many 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 voices i mean you work with some very very big organizations right everybody every department's got lots of things they want to say people within those departments have got loads of things to sort of say and then there's i guess a lack of connection with the actual audience that we're trying to get to do stuff and for me if we can solve those three issues right to your point if we can think about bravery instead of fear if we can simplify instead of making things more complex. And I think that comes from what you talked about before around alignment. And I think this is where we cross the streams again, because I think this is where businesses really cause themselves problems because there's so much to do. There's always so much to do. And there are myriad projects that need doing. Mm. And so we've, we, we built this thing of, we must do loads and loads of different things. And that just adds to even more complexity. And actually, a lot of those projects either then don't certainly see the light of day or they don't ever become part of the fabric of an organization. They don't have a higher success rate. They they get delivered. They maybe last a, a fleeting moment and then slip back and muscle memory comes back in and, and, and takes over. And, mm. and then I think this lack of connection, and I love the fact that you talk about writing for the approver and, and not the recipient. And if we really understand who we're trying to motivate, inform, engage and we can make things more simple and we actually do fewer things we make progress with them to me this is where it all starts to make sense but that that's a challenge for lots of businesses right to cow the complexity to be brave and to really think about the audience and what they to your word need to know to function at their at their best this is what we're talking about right so yeah, we've done yeah. what we'd like to see happen. We've talked about how far we are, how far we are from that state. How do we go to the third place? How do we begin to start changing it, Casey? A few things come to mind from what you're saying. So the fear thing is real, and we mustn't discount it because mm. I'm, I'm, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there are people that say that fear is a sign you're onto something. 
So, you know, nothing good happens basically within your comfort zone. So feeling that fear is possibly a sign you're onto something. I would say one thing that's going to help you enormously is data and mm. research. You you know, you either come into a room with an idea or you come into the room with some evidence. And the two things are really, really different or have an idea that's backed by evidence. So, true. so I would say that there will be a way of absolutely categorically proving that a certain employee mindset is driving better productivity, for example, or more organizational success. That that link is somewhere made in your organization. There's mm. always pockets of fantastic performance. Okay. There's mm. always a branch or a, a, you know, whatever it is, there's a, there's a site, a factory somewhere that's doing something no one else is. And if you look under the bonnet, you'll find that that, that connection and you'll be able to play that back. So go into the room with data and that will help hopefully suppress some of your fear. The complexity bit is really important. And I think what's happened through COVID is a lot of leadership teams have got quite excited about the power of internal communications. Actually, we're interest, we're in an interesting time. And now when I speak to internal comms teams, they feel overwhelmed, overwhelmed with a number of new demands. You know, the list of priorities, mm. inverted commas. Is it, <laughs> is it Jim Collins that says, says if you've got more than three priorities, you don't have any? I encourage teams to step back as often as they can from the day-to-day potentially use that Eisenhower urgent versus important yep. matrix mm-hmm. because what what's so interesting about that exercise when you look at what's urgent versus important is that the important things, the things that really move an organization forward and to be fair, what moves an individual forward because it's things like learning and development and those kinds of things never have a deadline attached to them or certainly never have an urgent deadline attached to them. And the things that crop up in your inbox, which is always somebody else's to-do list, but in your inbox will have that urgent thing, rarely really important and, and moving your agenda forward. So uh, you've got to kind of play games with that and work out where you're going to put your energy I would say every single day we set and focus on can you decouple the urgent from the important and at least do some important things. And your thing about complexity, it's a very noisy environment inside most organisations. You only have to ask people about how they feel about email, for example, Mm -hmm. just that alone. And you'll get this kind of slightly stressed look of people not being able to keep on top of the stuff the flood of stuff that's coming to them every day so I think there's there's two things there I think it's very interesting how in certain organizations and I'm thinking of Ikea here for example they the central team there think it's strategically important simply to to if you like simplify the message and make sure that the front line are given the time and the space to do their job So they deliberately act as gatekeepers, and I've known many organisations do this. They're deliberately saying, no, we're going to decide, you know, what the frontline gets, how often it gets it, so that they have the time to do what they need to serve the customer really well. So I think that's an interesting space for us to play, and it doesn't feel terribly strategic to be that gatekeeper of deciding what goes out and what doesn't. But actually, I think that's quite interesting. And there's loads of ways we can reduce the noise inside organisations. But above that, the stories we tell 
they can't be complex. Mm. They can't be about leveraging our synergies and about <laughs> maximizing returns. They really can't. And this is why we come back to stories, don't we? And we we come back to storytelling and story sharing. And I'm trying to avoid the using the term corporate narrative, but mm. my goodness me, can we? Because I think we should be able to tell a simple, compelling credible story about why our organization exists, what it's there to do, how it serves the world. And that should be, as I say, emotive, compelling, straightforward, and a story that other people can share with their friends, with their family, that helps them understand why working for that organization is important and meaningful. I totally agree. And this is where you can really, I think, align culture values and communications are right across the organization what a surprise katie that uh we've been chatting and i've looked at my timer and it's gone oh you're nearing the end of time and we have not even done sticky notes yet so let's do that katie right we're at the part of the show i like to call sticky notes and i'm looking for you to try and consolidate all the things that are buzzing around in your head right now into three simple takeaways that the listeners can take away on three little sticky notes. So if we're thinking about helping people really reframe internal comms, what's going to go on your three sticky notes? Okay, I'm going to summarise. I'm going to try and summarise our entire conversation. So the first, (laughs) (laughs) see how well I do, marks out of 10. First of all, ask before you tell. So I don't care what communications challenge you've got in front of you today, there are some smart questions you should be asking both of your stakeholders, but particularly your audience, before you start designing, writing, planning, any kind of communication. Have you asked those smart, open questions? Go out and ask them. You will gather intelligence that makes your solution so much better. So do that. The second question, and this comes back to Steve Crescenzo, the sticky note should read, would you read it? Mm. Would you read it? If you're bored by the second paragraph, your audience is bored by the second word. So just (laughs) put yourself in the audience's shoes. Would you read it? And the third one comes down to that prioritization, the demands on us every day. It's a quote from Seth Godin, who I absolutely love. You don't need more time in your day. You need to decide. So that's about stepping back and deciding how am I going to spend my energy, my time, my finite resources um, today and what's really going to make a difference. And actually, maybe it's just one conversation that you need to have with a senior stakeholder that's come to you with an opportunity that you said, we'll roll out the usual campaign. And now you're going to go back and think, it's not the usual campaign. I'm going to do something bigger braver even if i'm just going to test a bigger braver idea yeah that's what i would recommend oh katie three lovely wonderful sticky notes there great job at (laughs) summarizing what's sort of what we've talked about in this conversation and yet i know we could have talked about a whole lot more and we will continue outside of the recording to talk about this a whole lot more it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today katie thank you so much it's been a it's been a wonderful experience, Andy. Thank you for inviting me. I hope it's not been too scary on the other side of the mic. I thought you were fabulous. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Okay, everyone. That was Katie McCauley, 
And if you'd like to find out a bit more about her or any of the topics that we've talked about today, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.